0: You are still dangerous. You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit.
1: You can be mine. Hello and welcome to Original Remake, the podcast where we discuss an original film and its remake.
2: Well, not always, Mike. Sometimes we don't talk about a remake.
1: Peter, that's the name of the show. Original Remake.
2: Well, yeah, but... What I meant was the remake featured on the show is a sequel, a, a reboot, or unofficial retelling of the same story.
1: So you're saying we're remaking the premise of this podcast?
2: Yes, because just like Hollywood on Original Remake, we are that unoriginal.
1: Well, we are doing a movie podcast, Peter, so... Yeah. Morning, sir. Hey, how's it going?
3: I'm good. How are you?
1: middle of the flu or something so. ah well good i'm glad there's a long distance between us yeah <laughs> peter uh called out sick though so apparently i could uh i could get him with my uh my sickness he woke up this morning and it's like dude i feel terrible i'm like oh yeah uh, join the club yeah
3: we're gonna start messaging trudeau now so we can get the wall instead of mexico
1: <laughs> <laughs> you get on top of that i'll, I'll let you uh... Dive <laughs> into the politics. <laughs> I'll just try to recover. All right, so joining me on this uh, very healthy morning for me, at least one of us will be healthy. Is guest Jason from the podcast Atlantic Screen Connection? Uh, Jason, thank you for bringing your uh, your fitness, your uh, your health, your Canadian good vibes to original remake. I'm
3: pleased to be here. I was actually thinking this was supposed to be an episode of War Machine versus Warhorse. I only found out last night it was for original remake. So, yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm kind of sad Peter can't be with us. I was actually super excited to meet him.
1: I'm, I'm not so sad. That guy's a jerk. You, you you don't hear it in the editing, but he's just a total diva. Like, I cut out part where he's, like, you know, slapping kids or hurting animals. All that stuff is out. So he comes uh, off as a very nice guy. Uh, that would have ruined the image for you.
3: Well, okay, man. Uh, but uh, before we get into
1: uh, Tom Cruise, which may be one reason, uh, other than sickness that uh, – Uh, Peter can't be here as he knows uh, my infatuation with the man and he just didn't want to hear it. Uh, Let's uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your show, uh, what you talk about over there and uh, where they can interact with you online.
3: Uh, Well, uh, as Mike said, my name is Jason Michael. I'm from the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast and it's a podcast I co-host with Lee Brady from Big Picture Reviews. Uh, Actually, by the time that this put together we're going to actually be merging our websites under the Atlantic Stream Connection podcast um and so yeah we basically try to take films that um we don't necessarily go into new releases all that much although this time we did go with uh, a bunch of things like Logan and uh, Split and all that but we usually try to take a more analytical approach to uh, film reviewing as opposed to just saying whether it's good or not what we liked about the film we actually really were really like going in depth so uh by the time this comes out uh we'll have done most likely alien covenant which is going to be a new release but uh the latest one of this as this recording was our uh, fate of the furious episode which we had a a blast doing we decided to go all out on that one and um we also had a really good run with under the skin so if you guys want to check that out that would be good too and if you want to interact with me or lee online uh you can find me at uh atlantic sc on twitter and for lee it's going to be at big pick reviews we'd love to have conversations with you guys it's always great fun you can find me there we have a facebook page for atlantic screen connection if you want to go there and also uh soundcloud itunes stitcher wherever you guys are listening to podcasts you can find us there we've been getting great reviews so far and uh we've been happy to interact with all of you
1: I mean, he interacts with me, so that should tell you that the, the door's open. You can uh, you can talk movies with this guy.
3: Yeah, might occasionally butts in the conversations. I tag him in tweets. He'll retweet if he's feeling good or whatever. But, yeah, most of the time we're good. I think now we'll get closer because of our infatuation for Tom Cruise. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to touch on uh, something you had just said. Uh, where you talked about covering uh, Fate of the Furious and uh, the latest Alien series. And I I don't think it's a a hot take by any means to say that, you know, at this particular time period in uh, Hollywood cinema, it's all Uh, franchise-based. It appears to be going even further. Uh, I I was looking at the schedule for, I think, next year, and it's almost like every weekend is some sort of franchise uh, that they're attempting to launch. And uh, watching these two uh, it was it was a bit uh, depressing. I thought uh, because it seems like in the mid uh, to late '80s, early '90s, that the franchise was the movie star. Like this is uh, clearly like when I was I'd never watched these two back to back. Uh, they're very similar. It's it's almost like it could be a franchise. It's uh, it's Tom Cruise playing a, a daredevil of sorts, someone who does a very dangerous act for his profession. Uh, and yet they're in two different worlds or two different characters, not really, but they were definitely in the Tom Cruise business back then, which is very different now. Like we're releasing this, uh, it'll be like the second week of June for around the time the mummy comes out with Tom Cruise Right, and Tom, a franchise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. yeah, joining, he's no longer, it's no longer the Tom Cruise franchise. It's him adding his, uh, movie star potential to a franchise. So do you have any thoughts on that? Do you, in watching these, do you miss those days or do you think it's just a, just a different way of building a franchise, a big box office movie.
3: I, I think that Tony Scott has to do, you know, and Jerry Bruckheimer also and Don Simpson, they have a lot to do with what was going on at this time. I mean, they were really trying to push the old school um, star power, you know, in movies like this, you know? So uh, I wasn't necessarily disappointed in revisiting these because I have a special affection for, you know, top gun days of thunder less. So, Although I am a racing fan, but I'm more of the European-type uh, racing. I'm in the Formula One. NASCAR has always been a bit of a mystery to me. Uh, but no, I wasn't necessarily disappointed going in because um, Top Gun is more a question of um, uh, my dad's love for the film. So my my affection for the film really comes from how my dad saw the film. And I remember uh, seeing it with him. I don't remember if it was in 86 when the film came out, but I really – uh doug how my dad how the film made my dad feel and um so you know he used to play the, the the soundtrack on vinyl he also had it on cassette for the car and so you know playing with the boys and the you know da- danger zone and whatnot that was playing full blast and i remember my dad saying like this is one of the best films because look at the goddamn planes look at how big these fucking things are this is great and so my dad's always been more of a machine type guy. He's the kind of guy that's going to take cars apart, motorcycles apart and bicycles apart and, you know, treat them like Legos, put everything back together. And so I think working on a jet might have actually pleased him at one point. So yeah, I don't know. I, uh, but with regards to what you were saying in terms of the franchise building and whatnot, um, I, I think this is a necessary step in Tom Cruise's career because, I mean, Uh, Well, like we were talking about, uh, Lee and I on our Jack Reacher Never Go Back episode, uh, Cruz doesn't have very many of these action movies left in him. So, I mean, he's probably going to have to start bringing in that star quality uh, and lending it so that, you know, they can bank on his name. But um, I don't know. I think it's it's a good move.
1: Like an added ingredient as opposed to just being banked on his shoulders. Because I I think you remove Tom Cruise from... Maybe not so much Top Gun, but I think certainly Days of Thunder. If Tom Cruise is not in this, I don't really know what the point is uh, of it. I think at least with Top Gun, there's there is an ensemble there where I could have seen another actor taking that part, and it probably would have been just as slick, as stylish, and fun. Days yeah. of Thunder, I I don't know. It feels it feels like a you know Top Gun Junior in a, in a way, and it's it's solely on the the fact of seeing Tom Cruise in a race car, and I guess you know Nicole Kidman them getting together.
0: So, how come you don't stick to open wheels? Lost my ride. After two championships and seven straight wins, you were fired. I lost my ride. Doesn't matter. I would to quit regardless. Why is that? I wasn't going anywhere. Where do you want to go? Indianapolis.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Days of Thunder, for me, felt like Robert Duvall's movie. You know? So he was like the older character because, I mean... Once you break these movies down, to me this is it's the hero's journey, both of them. Right? And so you have all these steps that Tom Cruise is going to go through in order to just basically complete the journey like Luke Skywalker, like uh, you know Frodo Baggins or whatever. So you have this guy that's orphaned in a way we don't know who his parents are. He has to live through certain ordeals and then come out on the other side a changed man and probably pass on his his legacy to others. But I mean I do understand what you're saying in terms of uh, Days of Thunder being a Top Gun junior. I remember thinking that the first time I watched it. But this time around, I had a little bit more fun. I would have loved uh, Rooker's character to be there a little bit longer in the film, though, instead of chopping him out the entire third act because there was a great chemistry between him and Cruz. But um, I think, yeah, they weren't necessarily – you're right in saying that Top Gun, had you taken Cruz out – and put in another guy it would have been practically the same film it's just that this film was more of a they're trying to bring him out like my dad said like um that he would compare tom cruise to james dean at this point this was his first movie like the rebel without a cause type film in in top gun days of thunder like where it becomes a little sketchy for me is his introduction into the film on that motorcycle (laughs) (laughs) is this cloud of smoke you're like what the fuck it was. Why was he just waiting there? How did he for know to intro- come in exactly. and right at that point? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was like, well, we got the driver. And then, whoa, And you're like, what? Why? Where's the radio? <laughs> no one had cell phones. What's going on?
1: I think uh, one issue I have with uh, Days of Thunder, and I, I have to admit, I've not seen either of these since I was a kid. These were not... Uh, anything that stuck around in my, my household, I guess one difference between our fathers is, uh, my dad, uh, a difference between me and my father is he does not like Tom Cruise. Uh, I remember him saying the only thing he would say is he's just too short. And it was like, he's a, a (laughs) in some way. He's like too short to be a movie star. Uh, but he did really love him in, uh, born on the 4th of July. I remember that, that always shocked me as a kid because my dad hated Tom Cruise and loved him in that movie. Loved that film. Um, but watching these again, I mean, they were they were fairly fresh. Uh, I think it's a little bit harder to watch Top Gun because so many of the lines have become iconic that yeah. even if you've not seen it in decades, you're like, oh yeah, I, re- I remember that part just from it being referenced in another movie. Uh, Days of Thunder, not so much. I don't think it's it's hung around. Uh, but one big issue as far as just I guess the the sex appeal of the films or the you know the fun the the pop art is Days of Thunder. They introduce a cruise character that. Uh, has daddy issues that is brooding in a way like he's he's got this backstory where his dad is uh, screwed him over and uh, it, you know he may as you said his introduction he makes him a brooding character someone that's yeah. prickly top gun he is uh you know he's an old-fashioned daredevil he he gets a thrill out of doing something very dangerous and he's he's cocksure and all smiles and I think it's a better, it's a more fun movie star performance in that way. I, I know they were trying to do something different with Days of Thunder because they are so similar, but I myself don't enjoy seeing uh, glowering Tom Cruise as much as I do. Uh, as you said, the, uh, the the James Dean, the sort of young pup, the, uh, the 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 sexier version of him.
3: Um, I I don't know, man. I kind of disagree. I think that in Top you like one, the brooding he, he, Tom my... Cruise, huh? I like them both. I mean, even, I think they're both the same character. Tom Cruise is just has longer hair in Days of Thunder. I think he's as brooding. He's just masking it a little bit more because he is living in his father's shadow in Top Gun. You know, I mean, he pulls the picture out. You can see that he's kind of, I was at a 40 minute mark. I think he actually pulls a picture out of his dad. Then he goes to meet uh, Viper and his Viper talks about his dad. So he had this looming presence of his father over there and i think that by pushing himself to the limit he's actually trying to cheat death and best his father in that way so he does have those daddy issues he just treats them in in a very different way i'd say one's more monetary i guess in days of thunder using his son whereas in top gun i mean it's living up to your father's legacy but actually one up you know having this one up and shit with it so is it is it just
1: a, a matter of lazy screenwriting where you take a moment in days of thunder where he's like, let me tell you all my issues with my family history. And it's like, he just yeah. uh, top gun. I, I agree with you. I like it when it's more a, uh, uh, a shadow or a presence that uh, other people may reference, but having the character just flat out say, tell Robert Duvall, here's what happened to me. And here's the way I am. Like, this is the reason for it. doesn't, yeah. I mean, it doesn't strike me as realistic. I don't, especially, you know, man to man. I just don't know. If that's something you would just open up with that quickly, if you are that prickly of a character, uh,
3: I don't remember the screenwriter's name for Days of Thunder. Uh, he was uh, quite well known. Robert Town, the
1: Chinatown. There you go, yeah. Town,
3: and he Chinatown. There you go. That's the guy. And um, he always had these very layered characters, right, with these weird tragic backstories. So, I mean, he wasn't necessarily out of his element, and adding that gives our characters uh, three dimensions, if you will. Obviously, I think in in the The early 90s we were going back to this type of anti-hero i mean even like grunge was rising and whatnot so you had to have this guy i was going to going against patriarchy in a sense so i don't know it did feel a little bit like exposition to me and was it necessary i didn't really give a shit when he was saying it i was like oh come on let's get to it Let, let you know let's get to this the strip scene on the side of the road should be interesting now so uh, yeah, I go. I, I agree with you on that. that when was, in doubt,
1: that's the way you undercut melodrama. Is there you, you go? A, a stripper just show up. Uh, exactly. Paid for by Robert Duvall, of course.
3: But that that's a fucked up thing about Tommy Scott's films. Did you ever notice like how when the characters are like super excited about something, it's the best goddamn thing to happen ever in the world, and then when it's sad, it's the bleakest fucking thing they've ever been through. There's no in between. There's no. You know it's like the silhouette shots that he uses. It's just black and then super colors in the background, but it's the same way with his characters. It's weird.
1: Yeah, it's something uh I think my I don't know what my favorite Tony Scott uh film would be. Uh it's either Crimson Tide, is probably hard to beat for me. Uh That's good. The the Hunger is one that I had never seen until uh like last year for the podcast. Um that one's never watched it. That one is definitely brooding. I mean it is it is uh you know, depressed vampires for the most part. But uh yeah, you're right. I think it is uh he he likes his ex- he likes his big moments. So if, yeah. if they're gonna have an emotion, it's gonna be big. Uh I'll, I I want to transition to the uh the romances here, uh, because I don't think either one of the female leads. Uh, necessarily have they they don't really participate in those big emotions those big swings they're a little more guarded uh in both films it's for professional reasons uh because they are working with uh our fighter pilot or a race car driver so there's there's a professional boundary that they're supposed to honor and respect which of course goes by the wayside because he's tom cruise uh, but uh, brings up that base feeling in their yeah. loins. <laughs> what did, what did you, uh, what did you make of Kelly um, McGillis and Nicole Kidman here? Did you like the, their, their romances with our, our, Tom Cruise in these respective films?
3: Um, I think it worked. I think it worked. I mean, and, and uh, like my, uh, my dad was explaining to me because when I talked to him, I told him I was going to be on the show talking with you. And I, I, Said, I I need to get your feedback on why you like Top Gun, you know? And, um, and I explained the whole homoerotic undertone to him (laughs) without batting an eye. He just says to me, you and your movie guys, do you overthink things way too much? (laughs) 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 He says, it was a guy driving a fast motorcycle who gets the blonde and drive and flies the fastest fucking planes on the. That's it. This every guy. Wanted to be Tom Cruise because he got the girl. And I mean, hard to get is always supposed to be that one thing that drives men, you know, to achieve the pinnacle of who they're going to be. And I mean, I like the romance because, like I said, it follows the hero's journey. So I mean, we're talking about like Joseph Campbell's meeting the goddess in a way and trying to overcome this seduction, but he has to give in to it as well. Because he can't conquer this, he's conquered the sky in in, in in Top Gun. He's conquered everyone around him, except for Iceman, maybe. But you know, even the Jester and and Viper are saying, "Damn, this kid is good. Damn, this kid is good." So you always have this this you know real pressure that comes with him. But the only thing that he hasn't conquered yet is you know Kelly McGillis's pants, and so he has to get that. So I thought the romance was kind of good. Um the one thing that I thought was a weird choice was the costume in the elevator with the cap.
1: Which where, I've, I've heard kind of plays into the, uh, the, the yeah, homoerotic stuff where she's, well,
3: yeah, it does. It does in a way because it's so weird. You know, this scene happens, you know, like, well, if I, if you look at crossing of the threshold in, in, in Campbell's, uh arc for the hero's journey, um he has to stop playing with the boys and in order to stop playing with the boys, he has to become a man. And therefore, he has to conquer the woman. And then, you know, the threshold being the vagina in this case, in a
1: couple of scenes later. I got my top of the uh, show bumper right there. There's the intro. <laughs> Keep people listening.
3: And that's uh,
1: well, a literal
3: threshold in this case. <laughs> uh, entering the cave literally. But. Um, <laughs> I think that she kind of misreads him a little bit in order – like he wants to become a man, but in order to get his attention, she has to become one of the boys. So she has to kind of lower her expectations as to what the man he can become is, but he has to raise himself to her standards in order to conquer them. So they're meeting somewhere in the middle. So I thought that was cool. Uh, it was a weird thing. I mean I think that she's trying to hide something. There must be shame involved. There's a different way to read that scene. But overall, I thought that their romance was good. I actually think that Tom Cruise with his leading ladies in these ones actually has a lot of chemistry. So I can't say that for uh, like the chemistry they had with Michelle Monaghan in the Mission Impossible, like a Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. No, I no, sorry, in Mission Impossible Three, I didn't see that. But I mean, I, I think the early '80s and '90s, the leading ladies that he was with actually were really good, and Kelly McGillis is a, is a testament to that.
1: Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't look at the uh, the, the the vagina cave angle as much, uh, (laughs) I was a little more PG. Um, I mean, I think they, they both, they represent safety nets. I mean, for someone that's a a daredevil of sorts, uh, because, and I think it's handled a little bit better. that idea in days of thunder. I think it's, it's perhaps the only thing I like more about days of thunder is that the romance of Nicole Kidman is intertwined with this rivalry with the Michael Rooker character. Uh, which is uh, it's stated in the film by Robert De Niro that uh, you know race car drivers basically will not acknowledge uh, their fallen brothers in a way they they won't because they they don't want to see yeah. a reflection of their own you know mortality. They, to go to the what funerals, they yeah. won't go down.
3: Yeah. and I, I like
1: that I feel like she has a little bit more to do uh, as the the romantic lead than just propping him up and that there's this other guy as well and like bringing these two men together. Um, uh, is is a big benefit of the film. I agree with you, Rooker. I i had forgotten that he's sort of uh put to the bench in the film so quickly. Yeah, um, <clears throat> third act, he's completely disappeared. I will say, Top Gun, uh, the the romance is sexier because they cannot help but, uh, and it's almost comical how often they go back to the the song, the romantic cue. It's like every time, there yeah, are three time. songs, yes. three
3: songs in Top Gun. <laughs> Fucking Danger Zone. <laughs> Uh, take my breath away and there's that other one that i won't mention because i forgot but yeah that they overplayed those tracks you look at the soundtrack you're like fuck there's 12 songs or 15 songs on this thing and they played
1: three where are the it's, rest it's it's it, that kind of surprised me your dad uh enjoyed listening to the soundtrack so much because i'm like hell if you watch the movie once i feel like i've listened to it like 30 times i've uh, listened to the he, whole album so you never t- turn the cassette over this is an <laughs> a-side
3: cassette track only <laughs> fuck the b-sides was like danger zone driving you know, 100 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone.
1: <laughs> so uh, bringing up Rooker, um, they, that's the other sort of, I guess, uh, talking point between these two films is the the rival. Uh, you have Rowdy Burns uh, in Days of Thunder. Uh, yep. Then you have uh, Iceman uh, with Val Kilmer. And uh, I would I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the relationship between Iceman and Maverick and Top Gun uh, is not as three dimensional as the one in Days of Thunder because it's pretty much the final mission before you get an admittance, where it's like, you know, you can be my wingman anytime. Like, that's for the most part. They, wasn't there a sentence like you were you can ride my tail? There we go. <laughs> I knew, see, I knew, you're just, you're, you're really all over the, the sex angle on this podcast. There's, <laughs> I'm going to have to have you on for Eyes Wide Shut and just let you go crazy and just let you uh, just talk about um, that film.
3: Yeah, it's, it's
1: sitting in the corner rocking back and forth with that one would be great. <laughs> I don't know what I'll be doing, but I'll definitely be rocking back and forth. <laughs> Love so, that fucking movie. So do you like the, uh, the restraint in Top Gun that uh, Iceman doesn't really give in to Maverick's charms until the very end? Whereas in Days of Thunder, it's a little more nuanced as far as uh, Cole and Rowdy's uh, relationship together
3: they're the same character, in my opinion. One's cold, one's hot, right? And they have to find a middle, and the middle ground is going to be the, the Kelly McGillis that's going to basically calm one down, bring in that balance. That's where it is. I mean, look at the same... They have the, pretty much... You'll have the streaks in, the, in, in Val Kilmer's hair that are going to be ice tips, you know, but there's brown <laughs> underneath. But at the same time, you'll have Tom Cruise on the other side that has brown hair. Kelly McGillis is in the middle that has the blonde. So if you mix those two, then you get Ice Man. So you have this even-keeled, ice-cool dude on one side... I don't know if he wasn't giving into these charms, uh, his charm story. Um, I think he doesn't really give a shit about, you know, um, Maverick throughout the entire film. I mean, he's probably really fine with Slider, which is another fucked up name for a character. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I is it is it three dimensional? Uh, that's the one that I picked up on that I, I kind of started looking back to Rebel Without a Cause. You know, you'll have the, the Plato character who's who's seemingly homosexual. And, you know, you have uh, James Dean character that's going to want to protect him, but at the same time maybe test his sexuality. I think that Maverick constantly turning his back to Iceman, you know, presenting in a way is always a bit weird. So I don't know. I think that that relationship... Like I said, these these characters are so replaceable. They're stock characters, you know. You're going to have the good and the bad. So, is it know. just
1: a matter of Michael Rooker's character suffering an injury and becoming wounded and vulnerable? Uh, he's allowed to, you know, extend a hand to to show the you know the beginnings of some sort of friendship with uh, Tom Cruise character.
3: You know what? That was that's a good question. I think that. Rooker's character you know that that's a weird arc that's why I mean to me the movie is actually shaped like an oval just like NASCAR right the three-act structure you'll have Rooker who's the Tom Cruise character in the first act then you'll have the shift in the second act with the accident and then you'll have Tom Cruise becoming the Michael Rooker character in the third act and so it's basically that circle that goes over and over again so I mean I always thought it was weird that they took him out of the film but it was just a question of, of foresight, I think, for Tom Cruise. Rooker's character needed to be there—that guy that's actually going to be the falling star to the rising star—and that happens in sport all the time.
1: Well, he's he's also, I mean, beyond just being this this version of Iceman uh, on the on the racetrack, he's also in some respects Goose. Uh, he's the uh, the the you know Goose dies, and spoiler alert, I guess for Top Gun, uh, and it uh, it really pushes our third act for the Maverick character. Um, and Days of Thunder, he doesn't die, but his injury is what pushes Tom Cruise to get back on the racetrack, uh, under, you know, his car. Uh, and it is, it's stated for practical reasons, but you also kind of are led to believe that there is genuine respect there for his abilities, Cole Trickle's abilities on the racetrack, and that's why Rooker's giving him this opportunity.
3: Yeah. It's just that I think that he's a mix of many characters, even Carrie Carrie Ewald's character, uh,
1: russ wheeler
3: wheeler yeah <laughs> fuck the names in that movie man they Call suck trickle, so bad Rowdy Cold burns trickle what the fuck what kind of name is that anyway so yeah i think that you know the the wheeler is is a little bit ice man rooker could be a little bit ice man in the beginning uh but i mean in top gun all these guys are getting to the school at the same time or as rooker has already made a name for himself as burns you know he's you know rowdy burns he's, he's got a He's got a character. So I don't know. I think that in this case, it would be more a question of him being like a uh, jester or Viper in a sense, the guy that, that, that already has the knowledge and he's willing to pass it on. But at the same time, he has his own journey where he has to give the next generation of, of drivers something to, to go with. Whereas Iceman, I don't think he is that he is clearly in competition and they have to be equals by the end of the movie. Um, I think Rowdy Burns is more of a character that needs to understand that there's something more to his life than the sport that he's living because he does talk about his family. At one point, we have that, that same family meeting, you know, as they have in top gun with goose just before he dies, Meg Ryan and the kids and they're playing piano in the bar with Kelly McGillis. And then you'll have Michael Rooker. That's going to invite Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise over to his, uh, his farm now, and he says that that one of those wonderful lines where you know I used to want to get off the farm and go racing, but now I want to quit racing and go to the farm. You know, you, so you have that reversal. So I don't know. I think that he's more in, in the twilight years of his career. So I'd see him more as a Tom Skerritt uh, ending, you know, his his flight hmm. thing, rather than an Iceman type character.
1: Well, the other thing is Top Gun. Uh, you just mentioned Meg Ryan. Uh, there is a there's a common enemy in top gun. They can be competitive to a point, but you know, the, 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 the final confrontation is going to be with the, the other, you know, just these, these unnamed uh, yeah. enemies in, over international waters with black planes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, they, they do not reveal their, uh, their faces like Tom Cruise. <laughs> exactly. I think that's something that uh, is what they had to balance with days of thunder. Cause that's, you know, it should always remain a competitive atmosphere. Like, you know, there's there's not going to be a common enemy. And they're, they're weird sort of changes and uh, flips, especially with the Randy Quaid character, who's someone that at various points gives Tom Cruise a oh. chance, uh, throws him under yeah. the bus, and then helps him in the end. I, I never yeah. really – his is the one that I cannot peg down what exactly he's going for in this competitive, you know, financial business of his – uh that he would have any interests in helping out uh Tom Cruise. But I want to go back to uh to Meg Ryan because uh I had forgotten about her and so when they introduce her, I'm like, oh okay, so she's gonna have a big moment because I, I did remember, yeah, Goose bites it. You know, Goose is the one that uh gives Maverick his final challenge if he can kinda of get over that emotional loss, that that yeah. that doubt. Um one thing I liked about it was, you know, there's not I expect a sequence like you get oftentimes in these films where you have the you know the, the grieving wife, mother, family member, whatever the person may be to attack our lead character for having done something or taking a risk or basically being responsible. And she's about as understanding as you can be in that situation. And that surprised me because I feel like you talked about Tony Scott likes those big emotions. That's a, That's it's like he let that pitch go. He let that one. He didn't take a big swing at that one as far as having having this, this woman tear down Tom Cruise. And I respected the film for it. I thought it made her like a stronger character to not go for that sort of easy attack, that hatchet job.
3: Yeah. I might sound like an asshole right now, but maybe he did try, but then the acting involved or the actors involved <laughs> couldn't pull it off at that moment. Oh, okay. Uh, but at the same time, um, the, both these characters see the bigger picture. They're both missing the same individual, both like shared half their lives with this man. And so I don't think like that she feels he's responsible because she knows that Maverick would take care of Goose the same way as uh, Goose would have taken care of his wife. So, I mean, they have this symbiotic relationship where she probably knows Maverick as much as Goose knows Maverick. So, you know, if it's a if it's a, a this kind of relationship, brother relationship between these two men and then you'll have the wife who comes into it, I don't think that she really had anything to blame she, I, Pretty sure that she understands that these things happen. Yeah, it's her husband. But at the same time, Maverick, you know, he was cleared of all charges at the end anyway in the courtroom at the end of Act 2. So it could be two things. Either Scott didn't get the take he wanted or he was like, oh, this actually plays out better.
1: <laughs> you know, the uh, the biggest uh, clue, I think, that if you even if you've never seen the film, that Goose is going to bite it, uh, to me, is the volleyball sequence where it's uh, two on two. And all of the participants, except for Goose poor Anthony Edwards are shirtless uh, and like are shot to within an inch of their lives uh, to show as much rippling effect, as much sweat on the biceps uh, as possible. And then there's poor Anthony Edwards, uh, the guy in the pool wearing a t-shirt basically. And I thought like, Oh yeah, he's going to bite it. That's basically Tony Scott's version of a red shirt here. The guy who won't take his shirt off has to die in the end.
3: Yeah. But he's the guy that's not one of the boys, right? He actually has a family. He has something to lose. And what do you do? You take him away. So, yeah, I think you're really on to something with regards to the shirt. That could be a really, really important thing. He's not not ready to commit. And he's always the one that's telling Maverick, you know, I trust you, I trust you, but I don't want to lose this. I have a family Mm -hmm. to provide for. And so, you know, creating that, that's a fun thing because there's an escalation for us. He keeps beating us over the head with this, I have a family, I have a family and then after that like tony scott was like i don't think they understand yet we have to show the family <laughs> let's have a piano scene somewhere in there and so yeah then after that it becomes a little bit more something where you know us as well maybe not you and i cuz we will give a shit but <laughs> regular people will be like oh my god he lost his family they don't have a father anymore
1: <laughs> i have to say so, yeah. uh goose is a great wingman uh in that that bar sequence where uh maverick tries to pick up yeah that's good kelly the plays. place uh but meg ryan is the worst wingman in the world immediately comes in and starts talking about how many women maverick has slept with and just as someone that's always on the go and has never committed to anything and then it's like she catches herself she's like but he's in love clearly with you i don't know if she sells it i don't know if i'd believe that if if i'm charlie i don't think i'd be too pleased uh hearing that nonsense
3: there's a different dynamic then. I mean, the 80s were all about excess, right? So, the more women you had, the more of a stud you were. So, therefore, you're going to be this this ultimate thing. If she is able to conquer him and pin him down, then it will give her some heft as a woman as well, right? So, if he's in love, then she's special.
1: So, you know, if they, it's remade, which I, I think they, or at least they, before Tony Scott's uh, unfortunate passing, I think they were talking about a sequel. So, you're saying that that type of talk probably wouldn't make it in a modern version of top gun. You wouldn't see those, uh, oh, sexual dynamics.
3: Not. No way. You know, as soon as you mention like, Oh, this guy's slept with over, you know, X amount of women. Oh, he's a douchebag. We're not going right, to fuck right. him. You know, screw that. No. And in, in the eighties is a completely different thing. And it's, I mean, both films are quite sexist, right? Even look at Michael Rooker's character in Days of Thunder, who says, "I ain't if there, if it wasn't for a woman touching me, I'd be fine." <laughs> you're like a woman doctor, you're like, "What the fuck? What the hell kind of sentence is that?" And you left it in the script, motherfucker. What the hell's going on? <laughs> and even like in, in Days of Thunder, you know, she uh, no, sorry, in Top Gun, where she an astrophysicist, you know, and you see the guys just kind of turn their heads and go like huh? You're confused (laughs) with the fact that there's a woman that can do math. You know, you can't write those types of characters anymore. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that, yeah, there's clearly some sort of subversion going on uh, with a woman doctor and a woman astrophysicist. That might've been something at the time going like, Oh my God, these women are smart and one's blonde. That is fucked up, you know? So there's that subversion. But I think that if you put that in the movie today, fucking people picketing outside in front of the cinema, (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think that's probably what helps uh the uh the uh Top or Top Gun age better than Days of Thunder is that it is uh you mentioned excess. <clears throat> it is a film that uh with the 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 Martin Scorsese reuse of the same song almost over and over throughout a film um with the 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 shirtless volleyball sequence uh even I mean even just Plain the in? The <laughs> <laughs> Even with just the uh the action sequences i think it is just so excessive and so proud of it um that you can excuse some of those things because it is very much a time capsule like it feels like okay yeah this oh yeah 1986 yeah. days of thunder i'm not saying it's like you know not in certain regards a time capsule but i don't think it's as it doesn't push it as as much as uh it's not as stylish in that way. Like instead, I I think you can kind of pick apart some of the dialogue because it doesn't, it doesn't go for uh, the excessive use of the music. Uh, It doesn't take time to have fun. It is, it's just a little bit darker. Maybe it's Robert Towns influence. Maybe it's trying to make it uh, a darker story. I don't know, but I I don't think that one's aged nearly as well as Top Gun.
3: I like the racing uh, in, in days of thunder. Uh, It was fun because it felt visceral. I was watching it last night and, and, I really had a, a good time with the racing sequences and being that close. And uh, But, you know, I, if you ask me to name a song that was in the film, I have no fucking clue. I don't understand the soundtrack. I can see Tom Cruise coming out of that cloud of smoke we were talking about. I have no idea what's playing. Uh, Nicole Kidman, as much as I like her, I remember I, I, even now recording with you, I can't recall anything of importance that she said in the film. You know, I think that Robert Duvall's character is the one to me. That's why I said I, he, to me he was the main character. He sticks out a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Top Gun, if you watch it, it is iconic. You know, you have those tracks. You have those moments like you were talking about. They leave an imprint uh, on your brain. Whereas Days of Thunder, you're like, well, okay, it's a race car movie. Guy's going to beat the old guy. And then by the end of the movie, he's the old guy who's trying to beat the young guy. You're like, is that it? Is that the whole, that's the whole. And I I remember sitting through it and going through the entire arc of the film. I was like, how many fucking seasons has he been driving? (laughs) (laughs) Like, how long has this been? Like, this is a long ass. This an hour and 47 minute movie. We've gone through an entire career, yet no one's aged. Is this one season? Is it five seasons? I have no idea what's going on. See,
1: I was hoping with your uh, your racing fandom, you could explain that to me, but uh, apparently not NASCAR. I mean, no. I know I've, you probably know more about NASCAR than me, so I I have no idea uh, what's going on. They just, you know, it's always another big race they're preparing for, and then there's some dramatics in between before they they find out which car they're driving that week. But I, I think it's uh, I think you're right. It's it's hard for me. You know, I watched it. I just watched it last night. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me to pinpoint a particular sequence. It's like, oh yeah, I would remember that from Days of Thunder. Like if five years from now if someone said, Hey, tell me some of the you know big scenes in Days of Thunder, I don't know what I would say. Uh maybe like the wheelchair race between Cruz and fun. I, I remember maybe that. It. Yeah.
3: That was cool. Uh, as a racing fan, there's one thing that stuck out to me and I thought, Oh, this is cool, you know. And it was the um Robert Duval sequence with the tires, and he says, This is my way and this is his way. And as a racing fan, that's 100% accurate. You know, if you teach a driver how to drive a certain way on, on, a, on a given track and you tell them to ease off, you know, you know, just lift up the uh, off the throttle just a little bit, turn in onto a curb a little bit more, you're going to wear your tires out less, you know, going through uh, specific sequences of the race. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a neat touch, you know, that mm-hmm. they, they were actually able to kind of show the blistering of the tire of a guy that's basically a little bit too over-anxious, I'll say, or precocious in a way with, with what he's doing. He's going to overuse everything, uh, whereas the the mild-mannered experience of, of the, the coach that knows exactly how to keep the tires clean. So that was a fun thing. But um, well, other think, than
1: that – I think they make a good uh, – it was a rare uh, moment where you have a movie star – uh, playing a character who says, uh, I'm not very smart when it comes to these things. There's that, that sequence in the bar where he's like, I don't that really know cool. much about cars. And it, yeah. it gives you an out. So you can have a character in this case, uh, played by Robert Duvall explain to the audience, different things that they probably don't know. Cause otherwise, right. if this if Tom Cruise is playing a race car driver, who's supposed to know these things, you would wonder, why is this being explained to him? So it's like, you had to have that moment where he's like, yeah, I can drive. i just don't know much about the sport. It's just, this is a talent I have. I don't have the. the the knowledge for it. So I like that.
3: I like that. I mean, Tom Cruise is a natural racer. That's why we're doing this. We're talking about Tom Cruise's Mm -hmm. need for speed. And if I remember correctly, in 2011, Tom Cruise actually was able to test a uh, Red Bull Formula One car. Uh, It was David Coulthard's car. And it was great because Cruise loves these things. I forgot to check to see if he was actually driving the NASCARs during like specific sequences of Days of Thunder. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Maybe you know, not because of for insurance purposes on big budget films, but I mean now with even the stunts that he's pulling today, it's kind of interesting to maybe look back and see was he doing it or did he is is he not doing it? But I know that he does have uh, he's a capable driver. I mean, motorcycles has always been a big staple of a Tom Cruise movie or Tom Cruise running. There is a speed mm-hmm. there all the time. And so I even watched the little 15 minute uh, clip that he, where he's actually driving the formula one car and he's actually good. I mean, he's about four or five seconds off a regular formula one driver's pace, but for Christ's sake, I mean, for a guy that basically paid, I don't know how many, how much to get into a Red Bull car to test it, go around for a couple of laps without, um, breaking the car. I think he, he beached the car twice, but you know, he was actually able to have really decent lap times for a guy that's never driven an F1 car. So yeah, it was really cool.
1: I don't think it's, I mean, it's safe to say that Tom Cruise is a very intense uh, actor very much. Putting it lightly. (laughs) So yeah, I think I fully understand why he could, and how he could throw himself into something and succeed at it. But is that
3: why you like him?
1: I, I do like that he's sort of an old-fashioned showman in that way. I like how he sells his movies. Like he's um, the the biggest thing I've always admired with him is even if it's you know it's a a lesser film in the the sense that uh, you know I mentioned Eyes Wide Shut, right? Stanley Kubrick. So you as a film fan, you put that on one tier, and then you put something like uh, yeah, Days Under Top Gun on another. Um, I feel like Tom Cruise doesn't see it that way. I think he gives hundred percent no matter what the film exactly and that's what i respect about him as a performer he doesn't he doesn't ever take take never phones it in no not at all
3: never phones it in Yeah. and he he he, i understand and that's why i like him and i had to get into a conversation with my girlfriend recently she was like i don't like him i was like why if there's no other actor working now that gives 110 Mm percent no matter the fucking film he's in Right? And it's really cool. I, that's what I appreciate about Cruz. No matter what his personal life has been, I don't give a shit about tabloid bullshit. But every time he's on screen, you know that he is doing his goddamn best. And if he doesn't get it right, he'll stay there as long mm-hmm. as he has to in order to get the perfect shot. So that's what I like. You know, you have these fucking prima donna movie stars now that are like, Ugh. like Jennifer Lawrence and the X Men. Like, mm-hmm. dude, you're in the, one of the biggest franchises. I don't want to do it anymore. You're getting Shut paid, the, fuck up. You're getting paid exactly. the same. So uh
1: do it. <laughs> yeah, I think Tom Cruise has a respect for his audience in that way that uh you know if you put down your ten bucks, uh he's gonna yeah. give you the same as he would in uh, an art film. Um Yep. So yeah, I I've always really admired him as a movie star. Um one of the last. Him and like I don't know, Denzel, I guess, maybe or like uh sort of the Yeah, Washington
3: man, yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. He worked with Tony Scott a couple of times, wasn't Man on Fire with yep, Scott? Yep. There you go. Denzel's pretty goddamn intense on that one.
1: <laughs> yes, yes he is. <laughs> so uh usually how we wrap up this show is uh we, we do our own sort of remake here and I think you know we both love Tom Cruise, so you know the the easiest question here is if they were gonna do this type of material again, uh what sort of, you know, sport or situation, uh dangerous situation could you put Tom Cruise in uh that's like this where he once again, chases his, his need for speed.
3: Uh, one movie that I've been dying to see that no one's made yet is a, a formula one film about Gilles Villeneuve and his career. Now, obviously Cruz is, is too old for that, but him being like a, a mentor figure, you know, it would, you know, maybe that could be, I'd like to see him in that kind of a role. So if I were to watch, like, I mean, because Ron Howard made Rush, and I'm a huge fan of that film because it really captures what, like, re- racing essence is, you know, that that mm-hmm. drive to excel. So if I would, I'd like to see a, a, a Days of Thunder, you know, remake of 90s, early 90s Formula One when it was really starting to have the whole electronic boom uh, bringing uh, all these electronics to the cars, where it's actually you know going from more of a, of a science rather than flat-out machinery, mm-hmm. uh, that would be interesting. And seeing Tom Cruise in that type of you know film would be great for me. And Top Gun, I mean, yeah, if we could get number two, that would be great. I'd like to have a nice story, but I think the one thing that I would be missing from it would be the actual planes. You know, a lot of the stuff that's shot now, they don't use planes; it's right. all CGI. And that's one of the things that my father brought up to me. He says, this is one of the last movies, you know, he says, basically, this this is a funny thing that dad said. He says, once Superman uh, crashed and burned to the ground with Superman 3 in 1983, Top Gun was the new superhero movie. And they were actually using real planes so you could go flying again, but it was actually you controlling the whole machine. And so I would like to see, you know, as opposed to a documentary made by IMAX, I'd like to see a real movie. Made with real planes in that vein again, and possibly—I don't know—maybe not a war film because that would be a little bit overly dramatic, but it could be interesting. It could be interesting to see something like that.
1: Well, you can feel it. I mean, you can when you're watching it, you're, it, it feels more dangerous. It feels like it, oh yeah, man. you know, there's something uh, you know tactile about it where it's like oh that's that's a real thing I'm watching on screen as opposed oh, to oh yeah. I don't know. And I think a lot of times it's the way they they use the camera now where it's like, you know, that's something that couldn't really exist. So it it triggers something in your brain where like, yeah, this is CGI just because the way that everything is placed on screen, it's like they couldn't actually do that here. I mean, there's they probably could have gotten cooler shots if they had gone CGI, but the whole look of the film would have been different. And I, I don't I mean, it would have been far lesser for it. Um I'm going to cheat a little bit here on, on my pick. Uh, and I'm going to mention a film. I guess I'm going to promote an old episode of original remake. We did, a go ahead. An episode, uh, on the, the great state of, uh, Oregon where, where Peter resides. And he was really happy about it on, uh, Steve Prefontaine, uh, the racer and Tom Cruise produced a Robert town film that he wrote and directed, uh, starring Billy Crudup.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I remember as, that.
1: Uh, It was called without limits. And, mm-hmm. The thing it didn't come out until '98, and basically it's because uh, Cruise produced it because he aged out of being able to play the pre-Fontaine role when Town was doing it. I guess I don't know if this was when they were working on Days of Thunder, what it was, but they were trying to get it made with with Tom Cruise and just one thing after another, and he was too old. So nothing against Billy Crudup. I, I actually am a big fan of that film. Uh, in an alternate universe, I would like to have seen uh, the the third uh, act of this trilogy would have been him. Uh, as a racer, as Steve Prefontaine, see Tom Cruise. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something he would have gotten into. Uh, he was a very intense guy. Uh, and if you've not seen Without Limits, uh, check it out. And if you've not listened to the episode, check that out, where I think Peter disagreed with me and went with the other film called Prefontaine. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a Robert Town guy. I liked Without Limits. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say there's an alternate timeline where we get to see Tom Cruise in that role. And I, I think mm. he would have been great in it. All right, so I think that'll uh, that'll wrap us up. So before we go, once again, uh, Jason, tell people where they can interact with you and where they can find your podcast.
3: Yep. Yeah. So um, you can find the Atlantic Stream Connection. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Go like that. Leave a review; would be great. Tune into the episodes. We're on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Stitcher Radio. We're on Google Play now. Apparently, there's a platform for people on Android. If you guys want to reach us there, that'd be great too. Just look up Atlantic SC Podcast. You can find me also on Twitter at Atlantic SC and my co-host Lee Brady is at big pick refuse for now. And yeah, we'd be, we'd love to have you guys as feedback. We've been great getting great feedback from a lot of people already with a bunch of the episodes we had put out on Tom, Paul Thomas Anderson, the under the skin episode, and even the recent fate of the furious one apparently is giving people quite a laugh. So that's kind of cool. So yeah. So thanks for having me, man. This is great.
1: Yeah, it was uh, good talking with you. And I don't know why people are finding that of the Furious so funny. It's totally serious, the entire thing. Like, there's not, The entire thing is the serious. The entire thing is uh, yeah. meant to be taken deadly seriously there. So, yeah, uh, check out that episode. I really <laughs> like the under-the-skin one as well. Big fan of that film, and that's, uh, it's a great one to dive into. And you all did an excellent job with that. So I uh, cool, can't speak highly enough of what you all are doing over at Atlantic Screen Connection. Uh, even though I miss a lot of your tweets, because uh, I'm anti-social. I just did The Social Network, and I just watched The Circle, so I'm just not in the mood to oh, get on man. Twitter.
3: <laughs> your, your conversation on The Social Network, I, I it actually pissed me off that I had to watch Top Gun, because I was listening to what you were saying, because I had just finished watching The Founder. Mm-hmm. And then when you guys pieced it together with Social Network, I was like, oh, that's so true, it's the same fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, how... How awesome would it have been with a Sorkin script? Yeah, and now yeah. I'm I'm just like I got to go back and watch The Social Network, and I remember my girlfriend saying, "I don't want to watch that." Jesse Eisenberg gets on my nerves. I was like, "Yes, but this is the good Jesse Eisenberg." <laughs> Everyone turned into to into original remake.
1: <laughs> and you can follow this podcast at Original Remake on Twitter. You're old school, which I appreciate, as you can tell uh, how often I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can email us at original remakepod at gmail.com or just get a response from Peter. He runs that account. He also can be found at Podstalgic, which is his other podcast. Mine is War Machine vs. War Horse, which means you can interact with me on Twitter if you must at War Machine Horse. And all three of those shows can be found on followingfilms.com alongside some other great podcasts like Pop Culture Case Study and the True Romance Film Podcast. Next time we will be discussing, I think, Alien and Prometheus um, just because we feel like it. So, yeah, uh, I know that uh, our guest they brought up that and at this point uh, Alien Covenant has come and gone but everything this summer is kind of dying that way including Tom Cruise and the Mummy. So, we're just not going to pay attention to what audiences want. Because uh, we're hosting a movie podcast. Clearly, we've already uh, denied them new or interesting material. Hopefully, you'll stick around. We'll try to provide something of a note. And our guest for that episode will be the host, the entire team, actually, the production team as well, of You Don't Know-ish podcast. Pretty funny episode and a lot of penis references on your way. Thanks for listening this time around, and uh, hopefully you will hit that subscribe button on your pod player of choice.
2: A shit about that. Fuck boy meets girl. Fuck motorcycle. Movie. No. What is really being said? What's really being said? That's what you were talking about. Because the whole idea, man, is subversion. You want subversion on a massive level. You know what one of the greatest fucking scripts ever written in the history of Hollywood is? What? Top Gun. Oh come? On. Top, Top Gun up. is fucking great. What is Top Gun? You think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots? Yeah, it's about a bunch of guys waving their dicks around. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality. That's it. That is what Top Gun is about, man. You've got Maverick, all right. He's on the edge, man. He's right on the fucking line, all right. And you've got Iceman and all his crew. Right. They're gay, and they are—they represent the gay man, right. all right. And they're saying go. Go the gay way, go the gay way. He could go both ways. But not so Kelly go, but McGillis, right? Kelly is. McGillis, she's, she's, she's heterosexuality. She's saying, no, 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 Go the normal way. Play by the rules, go the normal way. And they're saying, no, go the gay way. Be the gay way. Go for the gay way. All right? that is what's going on throughout that whole movie. What is this party? Who are these people that make me sick? What is that? Who are you? Who are you? Yeah. What, what is sure. he wearing? It's some kind of, like, dance jumpsuit, freakish, <laughs> little gaucho... Let's go to Spain and dance with our arms over our heads. He goes to her house, right? All right. It looks like they're going to have sex. You know, they're just kind of sitting back. He's taking a shower and everything. They don't have sex. He gets in the motorcycle, drives away. She's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on here? Next scene. Next scene, you see her, she's in the elevator. She is dressed like a guy. She's got the, the cap on, she's got the uh, aviator glasses, she's wearing the same jacket that the Iceman wears. She is Okay, this is how I gotta get this guy. This guy's going towards the gateway. So I gotta bring him back. I gotta bring him back from the gateway. So I'm gonna do that through subterfuge. I'm gonna dress like a man. Alright? <laughs> that is how she, she, she approaches it. Right. Okay. But the real ending of the movie is when they fight the mix at the end, all right, because he has passed over into the gay way. They are this gay fighting fucking force, all right, and they're beating the Russians, the gays are beating the Russians, all right, and it's over and they fucking land and Iceman's been trying to get Maverick the entire time. Finally, he's got him. Alright, and what is the last fucking line that they had together They're all hugging and kissing and happy with each other? And Ice comes up the Maverick and he says, man, you can ride my tail in his yeah. time! And what does
0: Maverick
2: say? Maverick, you can ride
0: my sword by fight, Sword, fight, sword fight. Yeah. Fucking it, yeah. man! <laughs>